ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed universal heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green, joined by Brett Barry. And, Brett, we hope that this would be a good news show, because last week was a good news show for the most part. The week before was not. I guess this week is more good news than bad news, or maybe it's no news, which is probably good news. In other words, there's just news. There's just <laughs> or, news. <laughs> or things that are, you know, we're looking for things to to fill the sports void. <laughs> we are stretching a little bit these days, which is fine. That's what's supposed to happen this time of year. There's not supposed to be much in the way of Arizona Wildcat stuff to talk about. Um, let's just start off with basketball because a lot of people are following that and the recruiting of the Wildcats. And last week they picked up a commitment from Daniel Baccio, who was supposed to be the number one or one of the top post players in, from France. He signs with the Wildcats, which is like, okay, hadn't really heard his name too much, but you look at, you read the reports on him, the scouting, like, okay, he's a pretty good player, pretty good get, kind of fits that mold of the, you know, multiple year player at Arizona. This, your early reaction to Arizona picking up the French big man. So it seems like he is one of the higher rated guys, like he and the Kerr, Kerr, Carissa, are both like guys that are highly rated from Europe that are that were they were among the highest rated that are not going straight to the league yeah right? gone pro and and it seems you know <laughs> that like we said last week the hot takes of missing out on one or two players that yeah would it be better to have zaire williams sure um but you know clearly there was other plans and there's other irons in the fire uh, and it seems like sean miller and, and the staff are taking a little bit more of the gonzaga approach of finding creative ways to fill the roster out that maybe smaller programs don't have the ability to and the resources and connections to be able to connect to Europe like this and having that pipeline of talent, which I think is a really strong value add, uh, especially if you're trying to have the guys that have high upside, really good experience, and you don't necessarily have to deal with the mess that is AAU mm-hmm. <laughs> circuit and coaches. Yeah. Um, and like I said last week, I think these guys, I think people are going to, they're always hit or miss. And so you don't, you know, seeing is believing and you don't know what you have until you see them play here. But I think I said last week, I value guys that can put up numbers in these uh, European pro leagues and that experience because there's there's guys that they're playing against every day that that's their livelihood and they're going to like, they're going to beat the hell out of these guys to make sure they have a paycheck next week. So there's like some 36-year-old guys that this is, they're trying to make the money while they can as opposed to, you know, AAU, I think I called it pajama ball. So. <laughs> you did, you did. And you're right though. And Every every new player Arizona gets is going to be hit or miss. It's not that there's any more risk, I think, with these European guys, the foreign players, than there are which is traditional high school seniors coming into the program. Just we haven't watched these guys. And, again, I said last week, I don't watch high school games. So scouting reports are scouting reports. And these aren't unknown players. This isn't Arizona going and finding Neon Badeau or anything like that. They're going out there and getting players that are known. We're playing in these professional leagues. Bacho's listed at 6'10", 225. I'm reading on AZ Desert Storm, he averaged 14.8 points, 11.3 rebounds, and 1.8 blocks per game with CFBB Paris in the Adidas Next Generation Tournament where he earned MVP honors. So this is a guy who 
He's no, no, he's not known to be a superior athlete. And I guess he tore his ACL and he came back, and recently that's where maybe some of the explosion was either lost or he's working his way back. But either way, last week after they got Chris, uh, I don't know if I was pronouncing his name right, by the way. It's, that's, that's usually Ronnie's job. And I, so I, I, I really miss him when Arizona signs guys whose names I don't know how to pronounce. But the thought was, okay, that was a guard. Now they need bigs. Well, they went out and got a big just a couple of days later. And maybe Bacho isn't, he's not Zeke Naji. He's not Aaron Gordon. But here's a player who has a track record of being successful, being a good quality basketball player at a position of need. So maybe he's not going to be a one-and-done superstar as a freshman, but he looks like the type of guy, again, who could carve out a role and be a productive player for the Wildcats for multiple seasons. Yeah, if you got if you got a Dusan Ristich career out of him, that's a win, right? Yeah, you would take that, absolutely. Um, and it, You know, <laughs> I still remember when we got Dusan Ristich. I watched the highlight films that might take. I remember talking with one of my friends, I'm like, he has incredible touch around the basket and shockingly little raw athleticism, <laughs> which proved to be true. But he was very effective in what he did, and he worked to make himself, you know, he had certain limitations, right? But he and improved think, over his four years and was a and solid player and, as a he's senior. A valuable, yeah, he's a valuable yeah. player, right? And Lord knows we, you know, I, I was freaking out about our front court d- depth or lack thereof because if Ira Lee is your either a starter or your only backup big, and he's not even really a big. So if he's, he's the first kinda, big off the bench, you're in trouble. You know, he's... he's he, Ira Lee is the glue guy and the energy guy, right? The guy that defend, rebound, you don't call plays for, uh, and, you, you know, that's what you want out of him. You're not going to run an offense through him. You're not expecting him to... You know, he's, he's a role player, and he, that's his role. Um, and it seems like the way they're building this roster... And seeing uh, Bacho's highlights, it seems like he's a guy that you don't necessarily run an offense through, but he is capable of, you know, dumping the ball down into the post, and you can at least, he can be a threat there, right? Um, as opposed to, like, I'm not sure you're going to get that with Coloco yet. I, you know, I really, I, I don't think that's your best option. Um, so now maybe you have, you know, like we were talking about, if you're running two-point guard lineups, you do the four, four out, one in. Bacho seems like the guy that would be like the one in on that. Yeah, in a, in a pretty in a pretty good offensive scheme. Right, he's, he's known to be a good passer. The offense ran through him quite a bit, and that's fine. Like Arizona needs skill. How many times have we talked about or have we watched a game and just like Arizona looked dumb on the floor? It wasn't so much an issue this past season. I think I mean there were moments, but certainly the year before, it's like this is not a basketball smart team. They just found a way to make silly mistakes. Now you're getting guys that are experienced at professional levels or playing against grown-ass men oftentimes and playing key roles. These guys know how to play basketball. So whether or not they're the stars of the team, they're going to be contributors who you're going to probably be able to rely on for something. And the nice thing, too, is they're not coming in as one-and-done guys, so they're going to come in ready to work, ready to learn, and ready to improve because they know this is a process. They're not going to come in saying, got to show up for the scouts right now, show off so I can get drafted in the lottery. No, they're coming to be Arizona Wildcats. And it's not like these guys, Chris uh, and now Bacho, it's not like they didn't have offers from other top programs. You know, These are guys that were they being recruited by Kentucky, Duke, Kansas? No, but they were being recruited by Oregon, by Creighton, by some of these other programs that are good. Like These are good basketball programs. So Arizona is still winning some recruiting battles out there. Now, their front court certainly looks, again, it's, we don't know how good this guy will be as a freshman, but it's just another option because otherwise you have Coloco, Jordan Brown, and Ira Lee, right? <laughs> and there's not one guy you can look at and say, 
you can count on him to be your anchor down low. And not to say Bacho will be either, but at the same time, he could be because of the role he's filled, what he's done before, you maybe feel more comfortable. Hey, he go out there and he's not going to hurt you for 15, 20 minutes a game. Yeah, you don't you don't accidentally average 15 points a game and win a tournament MVP in any kind of pro league, right? Right. Like he he clearly has some offensive skill. He can function within the system. Uh, that's you know kind of a trademark of most Euro players is that they 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 they're they are trained to match the skill set of the modern free flowing college basketball or just basketball in general. Which is exactly the kind of offense Arizona runs under Sean Miller. <laughs> I mean, it, well, you you said a, you, I was gonna say you, you made a comment of like they they didn't have high basketball you know they would make some kind of dumb decision and it's like the the thing that popped into my mind is the un, the great unknowable question with a lot of these five star guys is are they making dumb basketball decisions because it's they have low basketball IQ and they're not and or they're not listening to their coach or because they have a motivation to show certain things to scouts. Maybe trying think, too hard to play that kind of game. And like they want to be like, well, now I need to show the NBA scouts that I can create my own jump shot and shoot. I need to shoot 15 jumpers a, uh, a game, right? Yeah. Um, rather than taking what the defense gives you, which I think that's if there's one thing you could probably count on European players being a little bit better at is taking what the defense gives you, right? And in a, in a funny way, that's what Sean Miller's like motion offense is based upon, right? And maybe that's maybe that's where the mismatch is with some of the five star guys, where they're they're not trying to play within the system, they're trying to show their 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 skill sets, like very specific skill sets. And these guys, if they if they're used to playing within that system against high level competition and taking what the defense gives them, it might make Sean Miller's offense look better with less talented offensive players. It makes, makes you sense. wonder though, because obviously this seems like a a change. Not a, I want to say a 180 from the recruiting we've seen out of Miller of late, but certainly a 90-degree turn from what he had been doing with, granted, he's not looking to get three five. I mean, obviously take three five-stars every year, but the roster construction of last season was not his ideal roster construction. I think we all know that. But And they did go after some five-stars this year. <laughs> they didn't get them. But it's almost like that turn where maybe it is more of those system guys that a lot of people were asking for. Now, granted, these are all four-star type recruits. When they get rated, they're at four-star. So it's not like this is trying to find diamonds in the rough necessarily. But I wonder how much of that change, this pivot that we've seen from Miller and from the recruiting is due to a desire to do that, a desire to maybe try a different way of building the roster, or maybe some necessity in that, well, you're not landing the five stars and the four and a half stars from America, so now you got to go overseas to get them. Again, you can find talent anywhere. Arizona's found some really good players that did not go to high school in the States, but it is a different approach than we've seen from Arizona. And it's like a heavy, like they've, they've gone overseas to get players before. They've gone, that's, that's common, but not this heavy, not as heavily as they're doing it seemingly this class. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I, you know, it's it's hard because, as we've talked about, every year it seems like whatever is the plan for roster construction, we have one or two things that blow that up, right? Right, with injuries, um, or or dismissals or whatever, right? Like you don't, you're not as worried about guard depth if Devonair Dutrieve is still on the roster, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that he was pretty, he he was kind of like a. He had tantalizing potential as one of those kind of smooth scorer types. Not really a shooter, but a scorer. Yeah. But, you know, he disappears partway <laughs> through the last season. Um, 
in, into a puff of smoke, if you will. Ah, <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's some, it, it's hard to, for, I feel like Arizona fans try to fit, they, they, they view the roster construction as a Rorschach test of whatever narrative they want to try to fit to Sean Miller, right? Right. And I think you can convince yourself, just like all last season we talked about, I can convince myself this team is going to be great in the tournament or it's going to be terrible in the tournament, right? And either way, and, you were probably right. <laughs> yeah. There's not... Um, and, so, and, and part of that is that they've never actually had the kept the roster together in, you know, hell, going back to Brandon Ashley breaking his foot, right? Like, yeah. that was... That was a very complete, balanced roster in terms of skill set. Some guys were focused on defense. Some guys were offense. Beautifully constructed roster. Could have used maybe one more shooter, but that's fairly common for every yeah. roster Arizona's had. But no, that right mix of veterans and youth and all in the right places. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I think a lot of Arizona fans need to take a deep breath and, you know, Trust the process <laughs> to take a... That always plays well in the focus groups. <laughs> you know, if there's one thing uh, the Twitterati is, is, is known for, it's patience mm. and uh, reasoned takes. Well, the, it's good that they've adapted or adopted that approach because we're recording this on Monday and about two days later than we all thought it was going to happen, one of Arizona's recruiting targets, Kerwin Walton, decided to commit to North Carolina, which isn't really a surprise at this point. Arizona liked him, a guard, a good shooter, but that did not happen. And I feel like because of the players Arizona's added, maybe Walton's a better player, certainly a better shooter than the guys Arizona's added. And the Wildcats have absolutely taken Walton and been very happy with that. But there's not so much panic over it. Now, maybe it's because it was just a long, drawn-out process where it's like, kid can't decide. Man, maybe don't want him anyway. I'm sure if you would have said, I'm going to go to U of A, people would be like, yes, we'll take you. Great job. You're going to be great. But because of that, like Arizona did not get him, but now they're in on another player, a name that I don't want to try to pronounce, but it's supposed to be another a forward who's a good shooter. And that's, if you look at Arizona's roster, what are they missing right now besides proven commodities? If you just look at what they've done in the past, they're lacking shooters. Like Bacho's not a... He's not a shooter. He's an absolute low-post presence. Although Dusan Ristich was, and he started making threes as a senior. So what do I know? Yeah, so <laughs> it's Arizona needs shooters. Walton would have been a shooter. That's one area where, again, everything is an unknown at this point. But if you look at the roster and the way it's constructed, there seems to be very little outside shooting, and that's what they're looking for. Honestly, I think... Kerwin Walton went from a need-to-have to a nice-to-have when Kerr Carissa committed. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of reflected in how U of A approached it. I mean, if you believe the rumors that Walton was a silent commit, and then I have a working theory, I think it applies more for football than it does for basketball, that guys that are kind of waffling in their commitments tend to underperform. And, like, yeah, would I love to have Kerwin Walton on the on the team next year for that for at least adding that shooting Absolutely. Do I think he's going to be a superstar? Not really. You know, like, this kid's getting, like, recruited by North Carolina, Arizona, and Minnesota. Well, he's from Minnesota. I know, but, like, it sounds, if you if the rumors to be believed, Arizona wasn't even in the last two, even though they, yeah. he was supposedly a silent commit to them. So, you know, I I think, I mean, I wish the kid well. I don't have any ill will towards him. I think he had, 
I think he both enjoyed and then got frustrated by the pressure <laughs> of recruiting, if that makes like, sense. Right? Zaire like, Williams, missing out on him, hurt a little bit, right? Yeah. Because like, well, that's a five-star. And... We'd rather had him 100 times out of 100. Yeah. But losing out on Wallen is just kind of like, yeah, okay, at this point, because Arizona's been adding talent. Now, the guy that they've recently made the scar is Tibet Goriner, maybe. <laughs> we, will, we will call him Igudala Petrovic. Igudala Petrovic, a four-star forward from Turkey, who is a shooter, uh, six foot eight, hundred ninety-five pounds. So that's the type of guy too. If they can land him, and he's as good as advertised when it comes to his outside shooting, that fills a need. And then you start to look at this roster and say, okay, if everyone plays up to their ability, and again, you're still relying on a lot of players you've never seen at this level, which is what happens when you have to replace your entire starting lineup. But if it comes together like that, it may not be this season. And that's what I think what people are going to have to look at with this team is that this might be the type of roster where they'll be competitive this season and really good next year or competitive this season, better next year, and then the year after, just that's their year. And you don't necessarily want to have to be like that where because it's like that patience you were talking about, it doesn't exist, especially when your head coach has two years remaining on his contract. Like that patience does not exist. But this is the type of roster it's shaping up to be, maybe through, like, by desire or necessity, the type of roster that a lot of people want to see from Arizona. And if nothing else, the nice thing is when you have players who are around for two, three, four seasons, assuming they're good, it's kind of fun to follow them because you start to have an attachment to that team. You really start to root for them, and you see them climb the record books and become all-time great Wildcats with a chance to do something special when they're there for a four. It's like Dusan Rich, that wasn't the best player in Arizona history, but he's remembered fondly. Caleb Tarzuski wasn't the best player ever, but he's remembered fondly because these guys stuck out for four years, had some good, really good games, were on some really good teams, but at the end of the day, they are Wildcats. People look at them and say, those are Arizona Wildcats. When you think of Nico Mannion, Josh Green, Zeke Naji. So these other guys who are one and dones, there's not that same type of affinity. And that's I don't blame guys for leaving after one year, but there is something to be said from a fan perspective for having a roster of guys, assuming they're good. If you have four years of bad basketball players, you're not going to remember them fondly. But when you're Arizona and you can have guys who do that, you definitely appreciate them a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I think we don't know what next year's team is going to be like. And let's be, let's be blunt. I think the Pac-12 is going to be garbage next year. <laughs> like, I don't think they were good this year. I think they were going, as a con- as a conference, I, I'm i going to tie it back to Larry Scott. I think he has dragged down the major sports by bollocksing up a lot of things. And I think it's impacting. the. It's it's just now starting to show up in the on the field or on the court. Um, and, like, right now, like, ASU might be considered the favorites in the Pac-12, and I don't think they're going to be that great. Like, I think they'll be a good team, but like, they're they're going to be beatable. And well, especially if Remy Martin and Romello White decide to remain in the draft, like that's a team that's also relying on guys in new roles or freshmen. Romello White is going to go get drafted by the same team that dra- drafted Chance Comanche. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, but even if they come back, like, yeah, they'll be a nice college team, um, but they're not, they're not world beaters, right? Um, and that, and I, I view, I view Arizona's basketball team. If let's let's assume, um, you know, like I think Jason Shearer has basically insinuated that, like, you know, once you have like these Euro commitments come in, if everything goes according to plan, your recruiting class might end up still in the top ten or fifteen, right? Yeah. And if you combine 
Jordan Brown and James Akinjo on that. Like, what what exact what exactly is the source of panic that we don't have the number one recruiting class coming in with a bunch of freshmen? Right. You know what it is. It's a feeling when you get five stars. When these players who could go to Kentucky, go to Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, wherever, choose you, pull out that hat. Or when Brandon Williams, rec- you know, recommitted to Arizona, he was at his thing and he like pulls off this sh- like this sweats or whatever, and there's an Arizona shirt. That feels good. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be a better team because of it, but it mm-hmm. feels good. It's, and that's all it is. And when it comes to sports, feelings play a big role in perception. Well, you know, you know, you know when feelings really matter? Uh, when you don't have games to be playing and you don't have... Yeah. Uh, you, you never had the satisfaction of being right or wrong in that Rorschach test of last year's team, right? Well, even in the last couple seasons, really the last three seasons for Arizona basketball have been underwhelming. You know, one had super high expectations and flamed out. The next one, it just fell apart because of reasons. And then last season was disappointing and never had the chance to really get that finality. So feelings are all people have. And when you're missing out on recruits, when they're going, when good players are going to ASU, when Josh Christopher is announcing for ASU, and all these guys, everyone's going to Stanford. You know, it, it, it burns. It hurts a little how, bit. How, how dare that young man go to Stanford? What an idiot. <laughs> but but that's all it is it, you're to your point you're right like this roster you look at it on paper it's not lacking star ratings i mean everyone's like a four or five star on this team pretty much but it's just not flashy right now that's all and flash doesn't win games we know that we saw we've watched them the last few seasons flash doesn't win games good players do and these might be a bunch of really good players who fit together nicely especially if they get the shooters but yeah. As of right now, until those games happen, that buzz that was there when DeAndre Ayton committed, the buzz that was there last season with those freshmen, that's not going to exist. These guys are going to have to prove it on the court, which, to be honest with you, everyone has to prove it on the court. But in the offseason, like Arizona doesn't look like they're winning the offseason. They're not going to be a top-five class. They're not being talked about, oh, look at Arizona and Sean Miller. Look at them bouncing back and landing this guy and that guy, that one and done, the best point guard in the country, this, that. That's not happening but it still may be a very good team and a team that we all like watching over the next few seasons. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'm thinking of when you're saying that is I keep thinking that Sean Miller doesn't give two you-know-whats about what the fans think. Oh, of course long, not, as, and he shouldn't. As long as, it, as long as it doesn't impact his ability to recruit. No, I'm not saying he should care. Like He no, shouldn't be reading the like, message boards like, what are those guys on Wildcat yeah. Radio 2.0 saying? No, I don't think he should be listening to us at all. Well, actually, he should. We're sometimes smart. We're we're occasionally reasonable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I and I I guess that's where a, a somewhat recurring theme of this podcast has been trying to calm the nerves of Arizona fans everywhere, right? Uh, and like I, I would analogize this team coming in this year to like the football team that you know. Every, Look at look at like college football every year where there's so much turnover of who's playing, right? And everybody's like, oh, well, that team can't be in the top half of the Pac-12 because they don't have a proven quarterback because their mediocre quarterback graduated, right? Yeah. Like, but, and then in week three, people are like, oh, that new quarterback is great. This team is going somewhere. It's just the fear of the unknown, right? And we had, what, eight or nine roster spots turnover this year. Uh, there's There's a realistic scenario where this team is actually pretty darn good yeah and there's and there's the the floor i feel like is going to be fairly high 
I don't think the ceiling is, you know, the the expectations game is a game, dangerous game to play as a fan, right? Oh, yeah. You know, like... <laughs> it's a, the worst. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend one time say that in life, happiness is the delta between expectations and reality. And I think there's <laughs> a lot of truth to that. So it's like, stop, you know, stop measuring yourself as like, do we win the national championship or not? Damn it. Because, um, like, the reality is in college basketball, you know, of the top 68 teams every year, that all but one is losing their last game. And right? the one that wins that last game doesn't, isn't necessarily the best team. Mike D'Antoni used to coach the Suns, used to always say people don't enjoy the ride. You know, they could win 60 games during the regular season, have huge wins, 15-game winning streaks, but inevitably when they lost to the Spurs or whoever in the conference in the playoffs, it'd be like, well, that season was a disappointment. It's the same thing with TV shows, too, though, right? Like, you could love an entire show, but if the series finale sucks, people are like, what a waste of time that show was. Was it really? No. Yeah. You, still in, you can't retroactively not enjoy things. But when it comes to sports, and especially when you're Arizona basketball, who had those Elite Eight heartbreaks, you know, three of them in Miller's, what, first six seasons as coach or something, the Ohio State loss in the Sweet 16, losing to Xavier a few years ago in the Sweet 16 like, there's an expectation of getting back to the Final Four, especially when you've been so damn close like that. So it's hard for people, for Arizona fans, and I get it. It's hard to be like, well, at least they won 27 games, even if they got bounced by Xavier. Like, that doesn't make you feel better because Arizona's won Pac-12 tournaments. They've won Pac-12 titles. The only thing they haven't done under Miller, and they really haven't done it since, what, 2005, is get to the Final or till 2001, actually, right, is get to the Final Four. So I understand that. And one thing I would say is that, well, we're talking about how we like how next year's team could be surprisingly good because there's talent there. I do remember talking myself into the team two years ago saying, oh, well, you got Brandon Williams, you got Brandon Randolph, Chase Jeter's going to play this season. You got a grad transfer, Justin Coleman, Ryan Luther, Dylan Smith, Emmanuel Acott. Like that team could be pretty good. It wasn't. So, (laughs) but but that's how it goes. Can we can we talk, let's talk about that roster though? Because like everybody that's worried about missing out on five star guys, Manuel Acott was a five star recruit in a lot of recruiting services. Yeah, and he for all the potential he had, he did not produce. No, right. Um, so, and last year Zeke Naji was a four star recruit. So, you know, I'm not going to be the person that's, you know, it's full of BS and says that stars don't matter because they do, right? But you know, it's and in, in basketball, it's a little different than in, say, football, where you need to have in football, everybody can make a like a good first string. It's you fall apart at the second and third strings when yep. injuries and fatigue eventually happen. In basketball, you know, there's like, you know, call it 50 elite players every year, and everybody knows who they are. They've known who they are for the last 10 years, and they're going to be those elite players with 90% certainty. You know, that doesn't. That doesn't necessarily mean that every one of them pans out. Some of them are just freak athletes that everybody is rating based on potential. Emmanuel right. Acott had has had oozed with potential, but hasn't done crap. You know? No, and he was a guy who reclassified, got to U of A a little bit young, and now he's at what Boise State, I think, mm-hmm. and didn't really do anything for them last season. So no, and that and that's what it comes down to. Like once you get to campus, once you start playing games. And I don't know, this almost sounds like us rationalizing, oh, we're not upset Arizona doesn't have all these five stars because it, 
but it's true. Like, just because you have a roster full of five stars doesn't mean you're going to be great. See last year's Arizona Wildcats. And just because you don't have a roster of five stars doesn't mean you're not going to be good. See teams like Gonzaga and Villanova, some of the rosters they've put together. So it's about finding the right players who fit together. And obviously we won't know. No one knows. Everyone who's building a roster this season, especially when you're replacing as much as Arizona is, you're not going to know. And that's one thing where it should help Arizona and probably would help Miller get his system in place more like that he likes is that when guys are around for one year, two years, three years. Because when you're, just, when you're reshuffling the roster, when you're replacing 50% of the roster and at least 60% of your starting lineup every single season, it's tough to build that continuity. Now, again, just because they're around for three years, four years, doesn't mean they're going to be a good team. Like There's right. nothing that says you stick around that long, you're going to go to a Final Four. But in a lot, it doesn't hurt to have experience, especially if they're good players. So that's, and don't, yeah. don't, don't underestimate, there is continuity on the roster. Just that the fans don't see it with James Akinjo and Jordan Brown. Yeah, they've been with the team. the team. But they've also, again, the starting five is gone. <laughs> yeah. like, so like, they're practicing with a lot of guys who either are going to be bench guys still or aren't going to be on the roster or aren't going to be back. So it's, but that's the thing. Like This, this roster is shaping up where they're going to have all these freshmen, but they're not going to be relying on them nearly the same way they did last season with their star trio of freshmen. And instead you have a Kinjo who, whenever he gets to play, if he can, doesn't have to sit out any time, but if he does have to miss 10 games or whatever, he's played. He's experienced. Jordan Brown is older. He's a college player. Ira Lee's going to be a senior, right? Like there's going to be experience on this roster that they're relying on. Now, hopefully, again, like last year's team, they're supposed to rely on Dylan Smith and Chase Jeter, and that didn't quite work out. Smith was fine. Jeter was not great as a senior. You know, you had Max Hazard. The guys that they were expecting to rely on, they could not. So maybe that's the key. Like, these freshmen aren't going to be the ones who have to carry the team if they can supplement and maybe surprise if some of Dale and Terry comes in and is really good or if Bacho or Chris says they're good, then that's great. Like, that's a bonus. But if you can rely on the veterans, you can rely on Akinjo and Jordan Brown, that's going to make – and Coloco and Ira Lee, that's going to make this a better – and. Jamal Baker, keep forgetting him. If you can rely on those guys, that's going to make you a better team just because they have experience that last year's team did not. By the way, with with Kerr, Carissa coming on, I'm, you know, in watching some film on him, I actually wonder, with the Kinjo coming in, let's assume Brandon Williams is 80%, right? 80% Brandon Williams gets minutes. Does how much how many minutes does Jamal Baker get on next year's team? I'm he, not sure. I'm he not needs sure to he take a step forward. Many. It's hard to say, right? Because one that there's a lot of ifs there is that Brandon Williams can play and he's even at 80 percent. That Chris comes in and is ready to go. Maybe Akinjo sits out the first 10, 11 games, which forces Baker into the lineup and he establishes himself. Like there's a lot of things, but that that's a good problem to have. Like Baker wasn't great last season, but he's hardly the team's problem. Right, I mean, like there are a lot of guys who are like that. They weren't the problem. They weren't the solution either. They weren't the answer. But he's a guy who has some point guard experience, has made some big shots. He won the Washington game on the road yeah. for him. Like he was their best player that night. So would I look at him and say that's a guy I want to be my starting two guard next season? No. But do I feel bad if he's an option off the bench? Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> when you were saying some of the players weren't the weren't the problem or the answer and i was going to say well sometimes dylan smith was both <laughs> <laughs> That's, at that the is same true. time it's like that was last season in a nutshell um so you know there's that the tibet guy they're recruiting that you were talking about and i think there's still another euro big they're in on um that's 
he who else, who shall not be named. You're going to have to board. pronounce the name, yeah, because I don't. I'm well, not doing that again. Like on the boards, they're like, don't, don't talk about it. Is he Voldemort? <laughs> Is it what? I mean, Igudala Voldemort. <laughs> I, I don't know Harry Potter, but I'm pretty sure like he's the like, who shall not be named or something. Yeah, I think um, I've heard that before. So I mean, moral of the story is we feel pretty good about even if you don't, you know, you don't feel great about star power at the guard. Though even I don't know, Akinjo to me can be the guy that can get you points when you need him, right? Um, and if you have a ten deep roster of guys that are good, maybe not NBA superstar talent, but they know they're good and they know their role and they can run an effective offense and play effective defense. I think Sean Miller can do a lot with that. And then like a guy like Akinjo and even Terrell Brown, when you get down and you just need somebody to like, Hey, there's five seconds left. I forgot about Terrell Brown. Actually, we're talking about the guards. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure Jamal Baker's not sure he's getting that much minutes unless he takes a big step forward. It fills his role though. Whatever his role is, maybe it's like a backup point guard or that combo guard play a little defense. And if he's hot, then let him he might get 10 minutes a game, you know? Um, and I think it kind of depends. There's a lot of, to your point, there's a lot of ifs there. Cause like there's a realistic scenario where Brandon Williams is just not a reliable option. We, there's a realistic scenario where Kirk Chris is not physically ready to be the player that he maybe has the potential to be. Right. And then you, you know, Dale and Terry and Ben, ben. or, or <laughs> Benji, as we like to call him here. Um, you know, you, they're, those guys are both so young and so raw that there's just so many unproven, you know, unknown commodities. You don't know what to to do, but you can also see even with those unknown commodities, you have a good sense of what their roles will be. Uh, and you can manufacture a pretty effective team with a with the right coaching in that in that in that context with the way the roster is shaping up. Now, would yeah. I still like to have, you know, one more solid big guy? Yes, I'd like would a I shooter. Like- yeah, I mean, says everyone about every <laughs> basketball team ever. Fair. I, I mean, the the the, la, the Steve the Bulls with Steve Kerr would still be like, you know, we could still use one more shooter in the last dance. True. True. Like you can. That's one thing you can never have enough of. You know. It's like, and Arizona has rarely had enough of. So. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things, but uh, Brett, we're going to talk a little bit about Arizona football, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. So Brett, Arizona, Arizona won four games last season. The Wildcats the year before won five. So perhaps it should not have been a surprise that over the course of the three-day NFL draft, not one Wildcat was taken. Congratulations, Arizona. You're the only school in the Pac-12 to not have a player drafted over any of the seven rounds. Yay. Okay, geez. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like, unless you're an Arizona fan or you just like Arizona or you're just a Pac-12 person, you didn't notice that Arizona didn't have any players taken, right? We talked about it last week. No one's looking, no one's from like Florida saying, huh, I watched that entire draft and not one Arizona Wildcat was taken. But the flip side is Arizona missed out on the chance to have a Wildcat taken and have that put on TV for anyone who's watching the draft. Sure. Uh, but it also wouldn't have looked great had Khalil Tate been drafted as a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And that, that's that's the other point. Arizona, they didn't just because they didn't have anyone drafted doesn't mean they their guys aren't going to get a chance. Chase Whitaker signed an undrafted free agent contract with the Cardinals. J.J. Taylor, who we thought could get drafted, ended up with the Patriots. And Khalil Tate signed with the Eagles, who when they tweeted out said they had signed wide receiver Khalil Tate, which was very curious because I mean if. If not a single team said, we will bring you a quarterback, then it's smart on him and good of him to say, you know what, if this is my chance to make the NFL, if i got to come in as a receiver, I'm going to do that. But it's also surprising that a guy who he, he said, was a quarterback the whole time at Arizona, right? I'm not sure if they ever approached him, approached him about a position switch or anything, especially not after his sophomore year they wouldn't have. But that his chance at the NFL as that receiver isn't necessarily a surprise that he's willing to make that switch right now, to me, kind of is. I'm, I don't know which is more surprising to me, the fact that he was willing to to sign as a wide receiver. Or, I mean, I didn't necessarily expect him to be drafted. In fact, I did not. But I did think that somebody like Baltimore or the Cardinals or somebody that has, you know, a running quarterback spread offense. Like, I actually think Khalil Tate sitting on the practice squad for a year or two under Cliff Kingsbury could develop into a nice backup. Yeah. Right? Um, and he's not going to overtake Kyler Murray, but he doesn't have to, and he can have a nice, nice long career doing that. Um, so it's a little curious in 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 that sense. Um, I do think JJ Taylor like got into the perfect situation for him. I'm actually really sad though that he's not there for one at least one season with Tom Brady as the quarterback, because that offense loves like versatile running backs that can catch passes and smaller ones too. Actually, Deion Lewis was really good for them for years. Arizona did not use him as a, as a receiver. I don't think Arizona uses their running backs in the passing game nearly enough. And you would think that would happen more in a spread offense when they had guys that clearly had pass catching skills. I think Gunnell did. He threw to the running backs. (laughs) Yeah, but or running more like two running back plays where you can throw one in motion and yeah. then like have them run like that didn't happen that often right um, so like i would have I, f- I feel like if he had one season with tom brady even as like their fourth running back he would have still put up enough numbers that he would have gotten a six or seven year career out of it and maybe he still does because it's still bill belichick system and ma- hell maybe he gets more checkdowns in whoever is their quarterback <laughs> you know i mean how do we know that J.J. Taylor wasn't signed as a quarterback for the New England Patriots? I guess they didn't tweet that out. One thing that, thinking of Khalil Tate and that he's evidently making the switch to receiver is I wonder, and you said you're surprised if someone brought him in, maybe like the Cardinals put him on the practice squad and let him learn, is that the way this offseason is, teams don't necessarily stash guys forever. And the way this offseason is, anyone who wanted, like they didn't get a pro day workout with Khalil Tate. And to bring him in as a quarterback, understand that he's going to have to learn the offense, and maybe he struggled to learn the offense in Tucson. But the things that he would need to do to show that he belongs on a roster as a quarterback, he may not have a chance to do for these teams. So instead they sign him and say, you know what, you can be a receiver, a little bit less of the playbook that you need to learn. Just And he's probably – we saw all this stuff when he was working out with Donovan McNabb to be a quarterback, but I imagine Khalil Tate, he's a great athlete. So it wouldn't shock me if he, as long as he could stay healthy, because that was one of his bugaboos as a quarterback. But it's a position that I'm sure a lot of people thought he would end up at. 
You know, Jamari Joyner made that switch in college. Khalil Tate might have to make it after college. Doesn't mean he can't have a nice long career doing it. So I do wonder, though, if the way this offseason is looking for the NFL impacted how they approach quarterbacks or players like Khalil Tate who they'd want to get a really close look at, really work with over a rookie minicamp and see if he can pick some things up in a way that he may not get a chance to do now because of the fact that there is no really no real NFL offseason, at least not the way it has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, when you, were, when you were just speaking, I was thinking, if they're relying on his game film, how many games actually in his entire career would be evidence that he is a good quarterback in terms of the passing game? I can think of two. Colorado this past season. That's one of Oregon them. the year before. Oh, I, I, was think. thinking of, I was thinking of Purdue in the bowl game they actually lost. Yeah, that, that, yeah, he wasn't bad. I think the USC game that season when he brought them back. But was it with, with passing? I think so. I, I mean, there's there's a lot more of the scrambling backwards, scrambling out of bounds, throwing the ball as a backwards lateral <laughs> last season as a senior that's just like, you know, if there's things that, you know, there was a, that Michael Lev did a great article on like, what, Shocking. Who's, who's to blame on Khalil Tate and like he was tweeting around on some of the things of like pie chart of the blame and it's like, my ultimate take on Khalil Tate is I think he's a guy that was so much more, had so much more athletic ability between like, like look at the Hawaii game. He had so many boneheaded plays and then he completed that one like 70 yard pass on the run that like, because and he was he knows, half a yard away from the game winning play, or I think that would have sent it to overtime. And I, I just wonder if, I what, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was there. It was yeah. a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of, my take on Tate is that because he could, with some regularity, hit on those insane, almost impossible hero-like plays, that he convinced himself that he could do those all the time and never learned the nuances of just taking what the defense gave him. And, like, I think that's that's what held him back. And maybe the Eagles view him as somebody that can be, like, uh, uh, what's his name for the Saints, where he's, like... Taysom Hill? Yeah, I can come in and run some like gadget plays, and you know he's an he's a hell of an intriguing athlete. Yeah, and uh, and for people, and the common thing was to blame someone in the coaching staff for what happened to Khalil Tate. Was that it, man, it was Rich Rodriguez? He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated Heisman guy, and then two years under Mazzoni and Sumlin, he's undrafted. And the thing is, what they try to do is make him a quarterback who could pass the ball and read a defense, which are the very things that Khalil Tate wanted. And I think Michael Lev, who's great. I was being sarcastic. I'm like, oh, he wrote a good article. Like, yeah, he, he's great. Oh, I know. But he, he, meant- he, keeps, he keeps stealing our takes <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> well, we, we, we come up with the most unique takes on a lot of these things. <laughs> but, but the idea was that Khalil Tate had said he didn't come to Arizona on the triple option. He wanted to become a quarterback, someone who could get drafted in the NFL, without being in the room, without knowing exactly what went on with his relationship with Mazzoni and Sumlin and what plays he was supposed to run, maybe what the proper read was. I don't watch the film. I don't know where all he messed up throwing the ball. Like, Yeah, when he missed a throw, that happens. He also completed a lot of passes, too. Obviously, running out of bounds 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage, not something he's taught to do. But the idea that those coaches ruined him, well, if they ruined Khalil Tate, you know, if they ruined him by trying to get him to be a better passing quarterback, which is the exact thing that he would need to do to get drafted, then it's hard to blame the coaching staff. Now, you could say if the coaching staff shouldn't have done that, said, you know what, you have this superior athlete who's a runner, screw trying to make him a pocket passer, play to his strengths, which he showed, but if Khalil Tate didn't want to be that quarterback, then it was never going to work. So 
it's there's blame obviously to go around. It's not all on Khalil Tate. It's not all on the coaching staff. But I'm not sure if the coaching staff deserves more than Tate. But it also just it, it happened. Players don't always. He had that great stretch, those four games in his sophomore season. Then he kind of slowed down a little bit, stepped up in that bowl game, and was a good passer, like you mentioned. But maybe defense is also game plan for him. Maybe he was gun shy for running. All these things go into it. And it was just, it's a disappointing finish to his career at Arizona, but at least now he gets a chance in the NFL to carve out a career there. Yeah, and to, to put a bow on that a little bit is like, we don't even know if it was Tate or the coaches or both or neither or what even, like, I don't get the impression the coaches didn't want Khalil Tate to run. I don't know if it was injury or Tate wanting to be a passer. I, you know, and the counter to the blaming the coaches is, you know, Maybe they maybe they're guilty of not tailoring their offense to his skill set. But if he didn't want to use his skill set to tailor the offense to, yeah. who do you blame him? Right? Because Grant Gannell, as a true freshman, performed quite well as a passing quarterback. He did, right? Um, and I think part of that is that some of his biggest strengths are some of those basic fundamental things that most like pro teams look for in a quarterback, which is ability to read a defense, make good decisions, and accuracy. Right. And I'm not sure either of those were Khalil Tate's biggest strengths. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that was just a, being a weakness of his or him just being stubborn. And, you know, and it's impossible for us to know on the outside looking in. But, it is. you know, hopefully he gets a shot to, to have a nice career with the Eagles. And even if it's not there, he can maybe make something out of himself and have, have a nice long career. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't have any ill will towards Khalil Tate. It's just one of the more bizarre, like, you know, what what do you what? Nobody knows exactly what to what to call that whole situation. Disappointing, I think. That's all, yeah. that's all because as great as he was as a sophomore, there was the expectations that came with it, and he never fulfilled them. Because I thought he took steps forward as a passer as a junior, but his senior season was just a giant step back, and who knows why? Maybe having Gunnell there splitting the time and showing different type. I, I don't know. None of us do. Only Khalil Tate and that coaching staff know what went wrong. But certainly the nice thing is for him and all the other Wildcats who did not get drafted but found homes right now, they'll have a chance to make a career for themselves as professionals. And so that's what we're rooting for. It's not, there's no anger. There's no ill will towards these guys. You, like, even if they don't get drafted, you want them to be good NFL players because if they're playing on Sundays, that makes this coaching staff or just the program itself look better. And we talked about that last week where – it seems like, well, it doesn't seem like we know. Rich Rodriguez and the OKGs, the type of players he was recruiting and developing weren't exactly NFL-style talent. doesn't mean they weren't good. They won a lot of games. Well, for Arizona, they won a lot of games, including a Pac-12 South title. But they're not the type of guys who have the measurables to be necessarily next-level players, especially the type who get drafted in one of the seven rounds. Going forward, as more of these someone recruits are there and they run more of an NFL-style system, odds are we'll start to see... Well, the chance will improve that Arizona will have guys drafted. AZ Desert Storm had a nice article. Brian Peterson wrote about Arizona's 2021 draft prospects look better than it did in 2020. Now, granted, they had zero guys drafted this past season, so there's nowhere to go but up. But you look at the guys they mentioned, there's not necessarily first-round picks there, second-round picks, or even day-one picks, but there's guys on this list you're like, you know what, if they play even remotely as well as they did last season, maybe slight steps forward with, hey, with a better defensive coaching staff, not all that unlikely. Some of these guys should get a look, and they'll. You look at the you look at this roster. I don't know if you see the article, but 
it's there's guys here. Someone, some of these guys will have their names called over the course of the three days. Like I, I would almost guarantee that. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it last week. I think I said in the NFL draft, measurables are like the price of admission to the combine, right? Mm-hmm. And if if JJ Taylor was two inches taller, I'm guessing he's drafted, right? And at some point when you're like a seventh round pick, it's almost better to get to pick your situation. Yeah. People express interest into you. Um, you know, I think uh, the article from, from Brian is pretty solid, uh, even though my thing that jumped out to me in that was Jamari Joyner as the number three ranked person. Like if Jamari Joyner leaves next year, unless he just <laughs> destroys it, that's just not. But I, think, I don't think that's a smart decision I don't, for his career. But, but if you look at just the potential for him, he has potential to be one of those guys where it probably oh, won't absolutely. be after this next season, but a guy who could find himself drafted in, well, depending on how, many, how I mean, the, the way he developed as a, I guess as a sophomore in his first year at receiver, he was Arizona's best receiver last season. So if he takes another step forward and learns the position even more, he's got the skill set and the tools, he has the measurables to be a third-round pick maybe, you know, a second-round pick if he puts up the huge numbers just because of the fact that he has, like you're saying, the price of admission. He, he could pay it. Yeah. Well, and you know who's going to be able to pay that, too? And he's not going to be a high pick, but I think he's going to measure well, and I think he's going to have a big, productive season. Gary Brightwell. Exactly. It's like we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> like, he's, he's the guy that, first of all, was he probably underutilized? Yeah. But also when you have J.J. Taylor, who's a very yeah. you know, excellent player, you know, it's hard to find use for him, and that's where I kind of wonder why we didn't run more two-back sets, yada, 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 like I was talking about before. But, like, Gary Brightwell, I mean, that one, what, 90-yard run he had where somebody timed it, and it's, like, that equated to, like, a four three forty at six <laughs> one, Like, in-game, in-pads, running that kind of speed. As long as he stays healthy, uh, I think, A, he's going to have enough visibility, and I think he's going to... He's going to be somebody that's going to get invited to the combine, and when he runs a surprising forty at his size, yeah, you know who was? Gosh, who was it? I think it was when we were in undergrad. There was a running back that was drafted way too high. Derrick Henry, not uh, yeah, Chris Henry. Chris Henry. Chris Henry. Yeah, because Henry's like the good a good running back for the Titans. Chris Henry was a bad running back for the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he ran like a crazy forty and was huge, but he was not productive. And I think he was like a second round pick or something. Yeah, he was. Um, and, you know, the NFL cares about measurables a lot more than they maybe should, right? Um, but for especially for something like a running back where it has gradually evolved into being like, you are somebody who I am going to tax your body and count on your speed and ability to take hits. <laughs> um, you know, if you put Gary Brightwell behind, like, a bunch of all-pro linemen in the NFL, that guy rushes for 1,600 yards. Well, and one thing that'll help him, too, is I know he's going into this season as the number one back, which on a team that's loaded at running back. So he's not going to have as much tread on his tires as some of these guys. Like ASU's Eno Benjamin was productive, but he was a seventh-round pick by the Cardinals because not necessarily the best measurables, but there's just a lot of tread on those tires entering the NFL. Now, granted, the NFL doesn't care running backs. They're expecting you to have, be there for like three, four, five seasons tops, and they're going to get rid of you. But Brightwell was a former receiver which is the David Johnson route, guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield and make plays down the field like that, and he's fast. So, absolutely, he's a guy who, if he has a season that I think most of us are expecting of him, and a better passing game with Gunnell and a healthier offensive line will likely lead to a, the type of season that we're expecting from Brightwell. 
yeah, he's a guy who will measure very, very well at the combine and get drafted one of the seven rounds for sure. Yeah, if he shows he can pass block in game situations and runs a sub four five forty, he's getting drafted. Yeah, I I guarantee it. So that but that's the point of this is that Arizona. I mean, you look at the last few seasons; they've gone pickless in like two of the last three years. It's not great, but also when you look at the roster Arizona's had and the amount of success or lack of on the field, it's not all that surprising. Now the hope is it changes. And the, the idea was that someone in his staff would change things, and obviously the first two seasons have not gone according to plan. But if you look at the roster they have now, you see more NFL-caliber talent, or at least NFL-caliber potential, if that makes sense, where some players you look at and say, yeah, good college player, there's no chance at the next level, or they're necessarily not going to get drafted. They always have a chance if they can get signed as an undrafted free agent. But you look at this list that Brian put together on AZ Desert Storm, and just you look at the roster, you're like, I could see that guy having a role on Sundays, or I could see that guy getting a chance that sometimes can actually draft them and not risk someone else picking them up. So that's the idea. And again, if Arizona comes back and wins seven games this season, that means a lot of things went right, and a lot of these guys will get that opportunity because they'll have shown it on the field. Jamari Joyner would show it on the field, likely you know, perhaps being a number one receiver. Fields would have a good season. You know, Bright will have that good season. Lorenzo Burns would have experience in a good season. Jalen Harris, another guy who has the measurables. You know, he would have had that good season. No, it's possible. So that's where if you were disappointed Arizona did not get anyone picked, you're not alone. But it's also not the type of thing that has to be a long-term issue for this program. Yeah, and I think part of it is, you know, in the NFL you have to be, what, out of high school for three years? Yeah. So literally no someone guy has been draft eligible that he recruited to Arizona, right? Right. This is still, this is still all Rich Rod guys. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the guys on this list are now the guys that are either were JUCO transfers that came in, or have got, you know, taken different paths to getting there. Right? With you know, JB Brown was a middle linebacker that ate himself into being a defensive <laughs> lineman. Um, Josh McCauley was a walk-on center that now is like, well, you know, anchors kinda, the line. He kind of reminds me of like Lyle Sendline, who I think was a walk-on at Texas and then got drafted and then had a nice long career. I think he was an undrafted free agent, Sendline. Uh, Yeah, oh yeah, I think you're right. But he had a nice long career with the Cardinals, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'm real curious to see two things, how the new defensive staff and scheme in terms of their the way they develop players and put them in a chance to be successful might help some of those guys like Colin Schooler, like Jalen Harris, mm-hmm. put up numbers to get noticed and put them in a chance to be successful. And then I'm curious for guys like, you know, it's like a, a I mean, such a dark horse you can barely see him. I'd be curious to see with Grant Ganell at quarterback, Bryce Wolma, if he puts up his stats this year, where if they actually use the tight end and have a quarterback that's a little more apt to throw the check down, I think he's a guy that could, you know, at least get a look. I'm not saying he's going to get drafted, but I could see him having a big season, right? Yeah. You know, 6'4", 245 with good hands and a willing blocker, that's not that's not a lot of people. Right, right. <laughs> so reason you know, for optimism, we'll assuming, you know, again, it's a year from now, and ideally the next calendar year has more on-field success for the program. But, and if it does, they'll get guys drafted. There's enough talent there that'll do that, so... Yeah, I think this wasn't a bad news show, Brett. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's a little recruiting, a little, you know, a little optimism for you. Nothing wrong with that. Sure. (laughs) 
Well, as we said, Arizona's still in on some guys for recruiting and basketball. Football, probably nothing's going to happen. There shouldn't be any news that comes out from that program for a little while. You know, we're all hoping that things start to settle down on this coronavirus, you know, things start to get better, and we can even be more confident that there will be a football season. That's actually one quick thing. Like, there's talk that maybe they won't be in the fall, but they would do it, like, starting in next February or something in the spring, which is we, – it'd be weird to go through an entire fall without football. But also, then they didn't – but they then packed two seasons into one calendar year because that just seems brutal for some of the players. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's going to be such a – we're in such unknown territory, right? Yeah. And, like, who benefits and who, who is at – uh, disadvantage if you know i i feel like like not having a spring this year probably hurts the arizona wildcats defense more than most teams because they're doing a whole new scheme right yeah yeah um but you know maybe some of their guys that are we're going to count on a lot of younger guys that giving them an extra couple months to get bigger and stronger negates that a little bit right compared to usc who's got a bunch of five-star guys four deep on their their uh you know their their lineup right yeah yeah I don't know. As a season ticket holder, I wouldn't mind if they just delayed it to the winter so we could avoid the September games <laughs> when it's 105 degrees. That would be that would be nice. Yeah, you know what I was thinking? Would that if we if we could if if things had been more fortunate with coronavirus in terms of timing for Arizona selfishly as an Arizona football season ticket holder, boy, it would have been nice if they had started the giant football stadium renovations when they're going to delay the season anyway, and they yeah. could have just gotten it done. But you know, we don't have any money, <laughs> so it's also a great time to to borrow money. So, <laughs> you know, interest rates are cheap. What a what a time to be alive, as in other words, right? What a time to be alive. But so, everyone, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Stay healthy. And whatever happens in the world of Arizona athletics, or even if it doesn't happen, but we come up with some topics because we have so many great topics that still feel free to send us some of your own ideas if you have them. Right. No, Adam, we've we've got all the great ideas way better than our listeners can have. They should definitely not suggest them to us because they'll be terrible. Right. So don't. So in the meantime, when you're not suggesting us your terrible topic ideas, remember to bear down, (laughs) bear down.